0: Welcome to the Lang Money Hour, where smart money talks, hosted by Beth Bershock, with expert advice from Jim Lang, Pittsburgh-based CPA attorney and retirement and estate planning expert. Jim is also the author of Retire Secure, Pay Taxes Later. To find out more about his book, his practice, Lang Financial Group, and how to secure Jim as a speaker for your next event, visit his website at retiresecure.com. Now, get ready to talk smart money.
1: Thank you you so much for joining us tonight. We are talking smart money, and we have an information-packed show lined up this hour. I'm Beth Bershock. We have Jim Lang, CPA attorney, author of two best-selling editions of the book, Retire Secure, Pay Taxes Later, and a very special guest. And what this adds up to, and I'm not kidding, this literally is true, we have two of America's retirement planning experts Joining forces tonight, Jim Lang and our special guest, Natalie Choate, who is a Boston-based attorney. Hi, Natalie. Thank you so much for joining us this evening. Hi, Beth. My pleasure. Thank you. And the, the credentials that Natalie comes with, and I'm going to get Jim to speak on this in just a moment, but you know the way Jim describes you, Natalie, is that you wrote the book on IRAs that all top advisors follow, Natalie is also listed in Best Lawyers in America. She was one of the first 10 attorneys to receive the Distinguished Accredited Estate Planner Award from the National Association of Estate Planners. Literally, Natalie, you speak all over the country. And this is a little unusual tonight because Jim also speaks all over the country. And Jim is in Nashville getting ready for a presentation to advisors tomorrow. So we have Natalie in Boston, Jim in Nashville. Hi, Jim. Hello there. How is, Boston, how is Nashville going so far? It is hot here. <laughs> it's hot here
2: today, too. <laughs> well, it's, it's about 95 here. But before <laughs> we get into the substance, I just want listeners to, to really understand that Natalie wrote, wrote literally the Bible that, that every savvy IRA advisor is going to have on their desk, and preferably dog-eared, marked up, um, like my own copy, And I will tell you that I had a huge personal transformation from the time before I got and actually read cover-to-cover Natalie's book and the time I was done, because my understanding of IRAs and retirement plans just skyrocketed. And the advice that I give young planners is I tell them, I recommend that you read Natalie's book cover-to-cover, and after that, you will just catapult your knowledge and expertise in IRAs and retirement plans. And that's honestly
1: it, how you got started,
2: right? Yeah, it, it is. The, the the only thing that I did on top of that is I tried to quantify a lot of the information where the, the book is mainly um, – it, it, it doesn't have, with the exception of some case numbers in the back, it doesn't have, let's call it running the numbers, but it's just an outstanding book, and I would recommend it for all financial advisors, whether they be – CPAs or money managers or estate attorneys, and also for consumers who, who, who want control of their, of their own finances and want to really understand a deep, a deep understanding of IRAs and retirement plans.
1: Natalie, would consumers have access to that book?
3: Well, consumers would, but um, I, I would like to give a return plug, Jim, for your book, which, Jim, you wrote the Bible for non nonprofessionals uh, for the lay audience. And uh, the way I like to explain it to clients and my non-professional audiences is that my book is for professionals, therefore it's probably too simplistic for their needs, and they should turn to something like Jim Lang's book, Retire, Secure, Pay Taxes Later. Jim, you've done a great job with this subject, and I turn to your book for a few things like the different types of retirement plans, which I don't really cover in my book.
2: Well, I, I, I appreciate that.
1: Um, Let's give the name of Natalie's book, too. I'm not sure that we mentioned it.
2: All right. Yes. That's that's Life and Death Planning for Retirement Benefits. The subtitle is The Essential Handbook for Estate Planners, and you can get that by going to www.ataxplan.com.
1: taxplan.com, which is, no. Natalie, that's your website, right? Yes,
3: it is. You can also it, buy it through Amazon.com.
2: All right, and, there, and there's one other resource that, that that I will mention, and maybe we'll mention it again later on in the hour. Um, Natalie does have a wonderful resource that it could be for advisors or consumers, and it's called the 100 Best and Worst Planning Ideas for Your Client's Retirement Benefits. And the one of the differences is is that I've always considered myself a very opinionated writer. You know, I always I'm never shy about saying which strategies I like and which strategies I don't. And up until I saw this book by Natalie, um, I didn't know that Natalie was as opinionated as she is. <laughs> <laughs> but, but she is quite opinionated, and interestingly enough, um, the only thing I didn't like about it is that I didn't write it because, <laughs> because it's so good and it's so on point. Um, that, that, that is also an excellent resource and I believe that that is also on the website, The 100 Best and Worst Planning Ideas for Your Client's Retirement Benefits.
1: Actually, I have to say that I've looked through both of those books, and I think the second one that you're talking about is, is a good read for consumers because you're really concise in that book. You go through, the really, the 100 best and worst planning ideas. And last week... We were both looking through the book at the office. I was looking through it. Jim was looking through it, the 100 Best and Worst Planning Ideas for Your Clients' Retirement Benefits. And we were looking at some of the information that you had put forward, Natalie, in that, in that book. And one of the things that Jim really wanted to cover today was correctly titling the Inherited Retirement Plan. So, Jim, if you could explain, first of all, what the topic is all about, and then we can discuss some strategies.
2: Okay, let's, let's this, this, by the way, is one of my bugaboos in practice because so many advisors get this wrong, so many attorneys get this wrong, and I've, I've seen some of the damage done. But let's just take a very simple situation where um, dad or mom or let's call it the person who died, the decedent, leaves money to let, – and let's keep it real simple to start – to their child – Um, let's say Joe Sr. leaves his IRA to Joe Jr., Joe Sr. dies, all right, and there's no argument, it's very clearly going to go to Joe Jr. And Joe Jr. will not have an IRA, he will have a special beast called an inherited IRA. And I have seen people botch the titling of that inherited IRA, so maybe I'll I'll ask Natalie to say how she would actually title that and any special considerations that she has um, for our listeners.
3: You're absolutely right, Jim, that the number one time when mistakes get made in retirement benefits is when money has got to be transitioned from one owner to another or from one account to another. It's real easy for it to wind up in an account that is, uh, the, the wrong type, and with the result is total acceleration of taxes that was unnecessary. So, if we have an inherited IRA, what, uh, let's say Joe Jr. has gone down to the bank uh, where Dad's IRA was, and he says, Dad died, here's the death certificate, I've now inherited the IRA. What the bank should say is, Okay, now we'll register that IRA as an inherited IRA in the name of father, deceased, IRA payable to Joe Jr. as beneficiary. Or it might be registered Joe Jr. beneficiary of dad. Unfortunately, what tends to sometimes happen is the bank will say, oh, that's fine. Sorry to hear about your father. We'll just roll this money into your IRA. And they put it in an IRA in the name of Jr. himself. And that's not an inherited IRA. And all of a sudden, instead of an inherited tax-deferred asset, what we have is an immediate distribution taxable of the entire account, plus Joe Jr. is going to have a penalty for making an excess contribution to his own IRA because he wasn't allowed to roll that money into his own IRA. So uh, I try to tell people, if you do inherit an IRA, don't touch it until you have spoken to your attorney, your CPA, your financial planner, someone who knows what they're
2: doing. And, and one of my fears, and this is a true story, um, I had a call from an advisor on the West Coast, and he was, he was doing the investments for both Joe Sr. and Joe Jr. And Joe Sr. died with a million-dollar IRA, left it to Joe Jr., and he, just, he didn't put it into Joe Jr.'s IRA. He just titled it in Joe Jr.'s name and it didn't have Joe senior on the on the title it didn't have inherited IRA for the benefit of Joe Junior all it had was Joe Junior and he he had already done this and then after he did this he asked me what he should do and I just felt sick because in my I didn't know of any way out after he had already done this maybe you have an opinion on that But I actually, um, in a a slightly different setting, ran some numbers on it. And if he, let's say, died with a million dollars, now all of a sudden that million dollars, like Natalie said, the income tax on that is going to be accelerated. In other words, he has to come up, Joe Jr. has to come up with taxes on a million dollars now. And over Joe Jr.'s life, the loss of the income tax deferral is roughly a million dollars depending on what assumptions you can use was there anything that the advisor could have done at that point
3: there's nothing that can be done once an inherited ira is distributed like that even if the distribution was a mistake you know people say well you you've got sixty days to roll it over that's not true for an inherited ira you cannot put the toothpaste back in the tube (laughs) when it's an inherited ira Now. If that mistake gets made in your own account, you know, if you retire from the company and instead of putting your 401k money into your IRA, they put it into your personal checking account, even though you told them not to, that is a mistake that can be fixed because you do have 60 days to roll it into the right account. But after the owner dies, unless the beneficiary was the spouse, uh, the beneficiary does not have that rollover option, unfortunately.
1: Can you to go through the actual titling again? We mentioned that about 10 minutes ago, but how should the titling be worded?
3: The IRS gives a couple of options. They say that it has to be clear that it's an inherited IRA and who it was inherited from. So, it could be titled uh, father deceased IRA payable to junior as beneficiary, or it could be entitled junior as as beneficiary of father, but it has to clearly say the father's name, and that that makes it clear that it's an inherited IRA. It's not Junior's own IRA. And
2: and, and what I use is inherited IRA of Joe Sr. dated, and then I have the date of his death for the benefit of Joe Jr., do you think that'll I'll pass do it. muster? That'll do it. <laughs> All right, and, and, and by the way, as a little as a little extra bonus, now let's say that you leave some an inherited IRA or an inherited Roth IRA to a grandchild, 30 or 40 or even 60 years from now, that grandchild will still see your name as he's cashing his IRA check. That actually that, is a, a kind of a bonus. Yeah, a little little bit of immortality there. Uh-huh. In, in, a, in a positive, in a positive way.
1: And, and you have again at, right after the death of the person, the owner of the IRA. You have how long to get that straightened out?
3: Well, at, at the moment the death occurs, the account does belong to the beneficiary at that point, point. and they have to at some point get the paperwork to catch up with what's already happened. I don't think there's a specific deadline as such for that, but. It is important to start taking the minimum distributions uh, very soon after the death. It might be the same year as the death, if father died after reaching 70 and a half before he he didn't take his distribution for the year that he died. The beneficiary is supposed to run in there and take that out. And then the beneficiary's life expectancy payouts start the year after the owner died. And so you'd probably get the paperwork done sometime in that period.
1: Either way, it's critical to see an advisor that would handle that.
3: I would recommend it very strongly to see a knowledgeable advisor. Someone like Jim Lang, for example.
2: There you. <laughs> there you go. Well, well, thank you. And and one of the one of the opinions that Natalie and I share, and it's in um, it's it's in, in both of our materials, is one of the very interesting things that beneficiaries, and let's let's assume a very simple structure where we have uh, Joe Sr., Joe Jr., and then um, the grandchild, Joe Jr., the second, or the third, rather. Um, Before Joe Jr. makes any decision with regard to whether in, in doing anything with the IRA, one of the things that Natalie advocates is looking at the possibility of a disclaimer, in other words Joe Jr is saying I don't want or I don't need all or either all or a portion of the inherited IRA that Dad left me and since a well-drafted trust for the benefit of Joe Jr is the contingent beneficiary I might consider whether I want to leave some a portion of that inherited IRA or inherited better yet inherited Roth IRA to Joe Jr. I'm sorry, Joe, Joe the third. second or the third, um, and that is a very interesting decision. And there we do have a deadline of nine months after Joe Senior dies um, to make Madeline, the disclaimer. Do you, do you see a lot of that type of planning in, in your practice and in your um, travels?
3: I see surprisingly little of that. Unfortunately, uh, it's definitely very good planning. I mean. We start with planning at at grandpa's level, Joe Senior. He names a beneficiary on his IRA. He names Joe Junior. But it's extremely critical to also name a contingent beneficiary. And there's two reasons for that. One is, perish the thought, his son could die before him, in which case you need to have a second level of beneficiaries in there to take the account. Because if you just name one beneficiary and say, well, if, if that person dies, I'll come out and fill out a new form. It may You may not live long enough to do that. You may not be competent to do that. Uh, you could die in a common accident. So uh, you want to have a second layer of beneficiaries. They're called a the contingent beneficiary. And the second reason that that's important is because of what Jim's talking about, the disclaimer, which is Joe Jr. now has inherited the IRA, and he looks at this and says, gee, uh, you know, I'm a professional basketball player. I make $3 million a year. Uh, I need to shift money down to the next generation, my children. I will disclaim the IRA I inherited from my father. I will refuse to accept it. And I just signed a disclaimer. And bingo, it's just like he did predecease, and the money passes down to his children as contingent beneficiaries.
1: Now, Jim and Natalie, you have to set up that disclaimer situation, though, f- before the first death. Before Joe be, Sr.'s yeah. death. You can't do it afterwards.
3: The contingent beneficiary has to be already named in the beneficiary form. You're exactly right.
1: So if you neglect to do that, then this, you would not be able to put this into motion.
3: It will, it will simply not work very well or at all if you don't have a contingent beneficiary because part of a disclaimer is that the person making the disclaimer can't say where he wants it to go. I mean, it'd be nice. if You say I disclaim it, and I want it to go to my favorite charity or my sister.
1: But you don't have that choice.
3: Exactly. You're just refusing to accept it, and it has to go where it goes without any say-so on your part,
2: Jim. And and and, and a little thing that I like to do is if I'm if I'm Joe Jr. and I'm thinking about and let's say that that Joe the Third is five years old. Um, I'm obviously you're not going to leave money to a five-year-old outright I would be interested in having Joe Jun- Joe Senior when he writes his beneficiary of his IRA of naming Joe Junior first and then a trust for the benefit of Joe the third and here's where um, I think a lot of attorneys um, don't really think this outright if Joe Junior is still alive and he disclaims to a trust for the benefit of Joe the third if I'm Joe Jr., I want to be the trustee of that. That is, I'm, I'm interested in um, making sure that the not only the investment is right, but more importantly, the distributions are appropriate. Natalie, is there any problem with having Joe Jr. be the trustee for Joe the Third with a disclaimer? Because presumably with a disclaimer you're giving up all rights.
3: Well, there would be a problem if the trust gives the trustee a lot of discretion. If the trust for the grandchild says the trustee can decide when the grandchild gets the money and he has total control, that would not work with a disclaimer because a disclaimer, like you say, is giving up control. But he could be trustee if the trust has spelled out what the grandchild gets. For example, if the trust says the grandchild must receive money for his health, education and support, or something like that, That's an ascertainable standard. The trustee is not just making up the rules as he goes along. He's carrying out a specific standard, and that can be compatible with a disclaimer.
2: So, so, so let's say that that and the the, the typical trust. This would be not only IRAs but also money outside IRAs. That I would typically draft for a minor would be something like just like you said: health maintenance support, um, education, postgraduate education, down payment for a home seed money for a business, and if you're a real sport, one summer in Europe. Do you think that's a little bit too broad, or is that still ascertainable?
3: Well, I, uh, I don't want to get pinned down here, Jim. I okay. Just... <laughs> maybe,
2: maybe you don't like that summer in Europe either. <laughs> that, that, that might not be so ascertainable. Um, but, but the other... Um,
3: One more thing about the inherited IRA. I mean, if anybody's still listening to this discussion, Jim, they must be really, really interested (laughs) in inherited IRA. Well, we'll, we're,
1: uh, we're going to be moving on to Roth IRA conversions in a moment.
3: Well, good. Let me just mention one more thing that gets often overlooked in the inherited IRA situation, and that is that if you have inherited an IRA or any kind of retirement plan and the person you inherited it from on their death had a taxable estate, So they had a large enough estate that estate taxes were paid, which, as of right now, a death in 2009 would mean the estate was over $3.5 million. But uh, if you did inherit this IRA from someone who had a taxable estate, then when you take money out of the IRA, you get an income tax deduction for the estate taxes that were paid on the IRA.
1: Well, that's a twist.
3: That is a twist. And it's the most overlooked deduction in America. Uh, Someone who inherited a million-dollar IRA, like the example you gave, they might be entitled to an income tax deduction of as much as $400,000 to offset that income. And it's a strange thing that beneficiaries often don't even find out about this deduction. Nobody tells them.
1: And that could be a huge deduction.
3: Absolutely huge. Absolutely huge. And it's money that gets left on the table. And thank,
1: just, you, thank you for pointing that one out, Natalie. We are going to be back. We need to take a quick break. I do want to touch on Roth IRA conversions when we get back. I know both of you are, are big on Roth IRA conversions. We're going to discuss the concept and some of the strategies. Jim Lang and Natalie Choate, it is the Lang Money Hour where smart money talks.
0: The Lang Money Hour, where smart money talks, featuring the expert advice of Pittsburgh based CPA attorney Jim Lang. More coming up on KQV AM 1410. The Lang Money Hour continues on KQV AM 1410. For all of your financial needs, turn to Lang Financial Group in Squirrel Hill, 412 521 2732. Let's talk more smart money.
1: We are back talking smart money. I'm Beth Bershock and an interesting setup tonight. We have Jim Lang in Nashville getting ready to speak to a group of advisors tomorrow. We have Natalie Choate in Boston where she practices law. These are really two of America's retirement planning experts together tonight strategizing on retirement and estate planning. And I wanted to point out quickly, too, that we have another workshop scheduled for the end of August. It's going to be August 29th and we're about to talk about Roth IRA Roth IRA conversions and that is the theme of the workshop on August 29th. We cover some other things, including Lang's Cascading Beneficiary Plan, but the main focus is Roth IRA conversions and the tax law change in 2010. This is going to be August 29th. It's a Saturday. Two events, one at 30, one at 1 o'clock at Pittsburgh Golf Club, and you can get all of the details by going to our website, which is www.retiresecure.com. Okay, Jim, I know that you're one of your absolute favorite strategies, Roth IRA conversions, and I'm guessing, Natalie, the same situation. And first explain, if if people are just catching on to this, because there's a big tax law change coming up in 2010, what that 2010 tax law change is all about. And I'll let you handle that, Jim.
2: Okay. the To oversimplify... When you have a traditional IRA, and you will be required at age 70 to start taking money from it, called a minimum required distribution, and all your distributions, whether you wait till age 70 or um, or or you don't, will be taxable. You will have to add the income or the amount of the distribution from the IRA to your tax base and have to pay tax on it. With a Roth IRA conversion. What you're doing is you are taking your existing IRA, or a portion, which is probably my preferred strategy, a portion of your IRA, you're paying tax on it up front, which goes exactly against everything that accountants have been saying for all these years. We've always been saying defer taxes, defer taxes, defer taxes. Now we're accelerating taxes because we're paying, we're taking a traditional IRA, we're paying tax on it now and we now have this Roth IRA and the Roth IRA is going to grow income tax-free no minimum required distributions for you no minimum required distributions for your spouse if you die and leave the um, IRA or Roth IRA to your spouse and like we had spoken earlier There will be minimum required distributions for the next generation or even the next two generations, but they will be income tax-free distributions. So I've been a a great fan, and I I think that there's not too many shows that we've gone more than 10 or 15 minutes without (laughs) me saying something about Roth IRA conversions. It's true, Natalie. But I would would be – I would love to hear what Natalie thinks about Roth IRA conversions and some of the strategies that she's recommending to people now.
3: Well, I think, Jim, that both you and I could speak uh, for 45 minutes to an hour just on Roth conversions. Um, I always start by saying there's no question it would be nice to own a Roth IRA. I mean, to own an account where all your accumulations are totally income tax-free and you don't have any required distributions during your lifetime, I mean, who wouldn't want that? So the question just becomes, if it's so great, why doesn't everyone have one? Well, how much do you have to pay to get it? And when you start balancing how much you have to pay to get it, that's when you start saying, well, is it worth it? So it's kind of easiest to start with the people who can get one free. If you have to pay a very low tax to get one or no tax, then it's a no-brainer that you should do it. And there's a limited number of situations where people can do that. People who have after-tax money that they've already paid tax off inside their plan uh, can find a way to convert that money, and it will make their Roth IRA uh, conversion either cheap or zero tax. And I know, Jim, I said, let's not get into this (laughs) when we talk. It's the very first thing I discussed. I noticed that. (laughs) Just take an example. Uh, Let's say uh, uh, Sally is working at a company and she's retiring. She has a 401K plan, and she has after-tax contributions in that plan. Maybe she has $100,000 in her employee contribution account and $70,000 of that money is her after-tax contributions to the plan. She's already paid the taxes on the 70000 Under the new law, she can transfer the whole $100,000 employee contribution account directly into a Roth IRA. And that's a $100,000 Roth IRA she's created, but because so much of her account was already after-tax money, she only has to pay income tax on the earnings in there, the $30,000. And so she's got a very low tax Roth conversion. And for someone in that position, you've got to say, you should do it.
1: You know, and Natalie, since you brought the, this strategy up, I think this is a great time to talk about, Jim, your strategy, which is, I really don't know who else is talking about this. It's your strategy for using a one-person
2: 401k? Okay, I will get to that in one oh, second. Oh, okay, okay. I, I just want to add one other example where people miss. Natalie said it is wonderful if you don't have to pay for it, and there's another very commonly missed situation when that happens, and and it's very often towards um, the end of um, listeners' lives. So let's say that that um, and you may, maybe even the listener is looking out for their aging parents or parents let's say that the parent is um... has is maybe in a nursing home or has um... care at home and has very expensive medical bills in fact their medical bills are far more than their income let's say that their medical bills are sixty thousand or hundred thousand dollars and their income is much lower than that in that case a lot i've seen a lot of um, tax preparers and cpa's just do kind of a straightforward tax return Showing the medical deduction, showing an effect a, a big negative income, and basically wasting that deduction. Where what I would want to do is take advantage of exactly what Natalie says. If you don't have to, if it doesn't cost you anything, who wouldn't want a Roth IRA? So let's say that, for discussion's sake, you have an extra $60,000 of um, medical expenses over and above all your income even after adjusting for the the limitations and the percentages, it might very well make sense to make at least a $60,000 Roth IRA conversion, end up at zero, so you're not paying any taxes, and now you have a Roth IRA, so in the event that you ever have income in the future, or more likely the benefits for your heirs can just be astounding. I mean, it it can literally be measured in millions of dollars, if we're talking over the lifetime of the heirs.
1: Now, before we get to the one-person 401k strategy, Jim and Natalie, would either one of you recommend to a client that they do a Roth IRA conversion if they don't have the money to pay the taxes, if they had to take it out of the plan to do that?
2: I I want to hear what Natalie has to say. Most
3: projections that I see show that if you have to cash out some of your retirement plan to pay the income tax on the Roth conversion it's it's not a, going to be a winning strategy. You probably will not come out ahead doing that. So it, if you're going to do a Roth conversion and you do have to pay some taxes on it, it's best you, you want to be able to pay those taxes with outside money, from what I've seen. Jim?
2: And, and traditionally I've agreed 100% with Natalie. I have a lot of clients that have virtually all their wealth in IRAs and retirement plans and have said that they weren't really a good um, – a good candidate for a Roth IRA conversion. The one exception that I might consider now is if you believe that income tax rates are going to go up substantially, one of the ways you could possibly, one of the ways, one of the strategies that you could consider is making a very limited Roth IRA conversion. Paying the tax from the IRA, which theoretically should be a break even, and normally, I would not recommend it unless there was a, a tremendous very foreseeable benefit, but that might be a potential tax hedge against in, uh, a higher um, tax rates. Now, I think Ed Slot would probably prefer that you take some money out and buy some life insurance, and he very well may might be right. Um, Ed, Ed, Ed fears higher taxes, and his um, response is to consider some life insurance, and um, I, I can't disagree with them, but one of my gut instincts is Roth IRA conversions, and obviously if you have the money to pay the tax, that's when it really works.
1: Uh-huh. Jim, can we talk about your strategy—the one-person 401K, which is Natalie. This is um, this is a strategy, really, that's that's relatively Jim has been using relatively recently, and it involves a Roth IRA conversion again without paying taxes. So, do you want to explain how that works?
2: All right. How about how about if I explain, and then I'd, I'd be really interested in what <laughs> Natalie has to okay, say. Okay,
1: I can't wait too. <laughs> <laughs> no,
2: I really am because you know I, I've I, this strategy is in my book. And I've, I give it at, at different talks, and usually when, when I when I when I've mentioned it to other people, and even people who are very knowledgeable about IRAs, they go, "Hmm, I've never heard of that, but hey, I guess it sounds okay, but I, I don't know." So, so let's let's set up this situation. Um, Joe Senior, while he is still alive, is retired from his main job, and he has, and let's even say by now the money is already in an IRA. So we, we, we're out, we we're outside of the company 401K. We're inside the IRA um, world. And let's say that when he did do the trustee-to-trustee transfer from his 401K to his IRA, that there was still after-tax dollars, that is, money that he was putting in, that he could not deduct because of the income tax deduction limitations on how much he was allowed to deduct but it was still profitable for him to put that money into his 401k And the the other money that could get there the same way and conceptually it's the same thing is the non-deductible ira which is probably another thing that we could talk about which i'm i i'm also a big fan of if you're if for high income taxpayers but anyway let's say that there is and let's use Natalie's number of $70,000 of money that he has already paid taxes on in his $1 million dollar IRA. Now let's also assume that he is doing some type of work. Maybe he's doing a little consulting for the company that he left, maybe he is working at the golf course and maybe he is a little bit involved in the family in a in in even his children's business or a family's business or let's say say somehow that he makes and it doesn't have to be a huge number let's say he has ten thousand dollars of earned income what i have been doing is i have been recommending that he set up a one-person 401k plan so it's in many ways very similar to the 401k plan that he had at work but this is a one-person plan because he's the only beneficiary he's the only active participant in this plan, and that um, he then take, and, and then let's say he makes a small contribution based on his income, but much more importantly, we're now going the opposite way of what most traditional advisors have recommended, which is after you retire, take your 401k and roll it into the IRA. Here, I'm interested in going the opposite way. I'm interested in, in taking the 401K, I'm sorry, the the IRA, under the new portability rules, transferring that money to his IRA. To his 401K. And, oh, I'm sorry. Thank you. His, his one-person 401K. All right. But interestingly enough, I like the type of one-person 401K that says we are happy to accept traditional IRA money But we will not take after-tax dollars inside the IRA. So we will take the $930,000 of traditional IRA into the one-person 401K, but the $70,000 of after-tax dollars, that has to stay where it is. All right? Then, because we don't have the proration rules to worry about and and Natalie said she didn't want to get into this because it was too technical, and that's for a very good reason So I'll, I'll maybe gloss over that part a little bit. But anyway, if we we can then isolate seventy thousand dollars of after-tax dollars inside an IRA, make a Roth IRA conversion of that without having to pay taxes. Now we have a Roth IRA for seventy thousand dollars and we have $930,000 in a one-person 401K. And not only have we made the Roth IRA conversion for free, which over time is going to be hundreds of thousands of dollars, actually after a long time, after a couple people have died, Um, but the advantage of the one-person 401K over and above the IRA is, and this part is a little bit controversial, that you might have slightly better creditor protection because of ERISA um, but the other thing is you now have another benefit in that if you die with an inherited 401k plan your heirs can make a Roth IRA conversion of the inherited 401k but if you just left the money in an IRA they are not allowed to make a Roth IRA conversion of the inherited IRA, so I'm sometimes going the exact opposite way that a lot of advisors are, and I really don't have any authority at all for this. <laughs> <laughs> I just thought, he just I made it up. <laughs> it just, I, I really did, but it, it, it made sense to me. No, you have good and, and I, I would it. be very interested in what Natalie has to say about it.
3: Well, those. Um... Those ideas are covered in my 100 Best and Worst Planning Ideas, which is actually now up to 194 Best and Worst Planning Ideas. Oh, I agree with you totally, and uh, I think those are, are excellent strategies. So the creditor part I'll, I'll stand off on, but um, creditor's rights and retirement plans is, is another entire subject. But um, you're absolutely right. Right now the tax law does permit you to roll the pre-tax money from an IRA, upstream into a qualified plan and leave like a stub IRA with nothing but the after-tax money in it, which you can then convert to a Roth IRA tax-free. And you're not really getting away with anything because you did already pay tax on that money, but it's nice to get a Roth IRA for your money. And then you're you're again absolutely right. Uh, Our tax law is written, I think, by Lewis Carroll because (laughs) <laughs> a beneficiary who inherits a 401K can convert that to an inherited Roth IRA. A beneficiary who inherits a regular IRA cannot convert that to an inherited Roth IRA. I
1: know. That's one of those glitches, Natalie. It, it,
3: what, it, it makes no sense at all. It but doesn't. That's, well, that's what the tax law says right now. Now, they could change it tomorrow with a stroke of a pen. But, you know, we, we are working these corners now, and, and our knowledge is to help clients Take advantage of
1: this. Now, that, that's course. that strategy that you both are talking about is a little complex, but you both spell it out in your literature. Yep. So, and, and, and I
2: feel like a like, like a student who didn't do their homework. Yeah.
1: Because, <laughs> because well. I have an
2: older version of the 100 best worst and best ideas. We
1: need. We now need the 194.
2: Well, yeah, and more more importantly, it, it has you know seemed. See, my version is all marked up, so when the new version came out, I thought, well, there might be a couple changes, but I like mine, my old one because it's all marked up, and it has stars and it has Xs, and, and, and I, I didn't get the new version, but that, that, just, that just shows me that, that I should be getting it.
1: Well, we, we need to get that. Hey, Natalie and Jim, we're going to take a quick break. When we come back, I have a question that was emailed in today about Roth IRA conversions that I'm going to toss out to both of you. It is the Lang Money Hour where smart money
0: talks. The Lang Money Hour, where smart money talks, featuring the expert advice of Pittsburgh based CPA attorney Jim Lang. More coming up on KQV AM 1410. The Lang Money Hour continues on KQV AM 1410. For all of your financial needs, turn to Lang Financial Group in Squirrel Hill, 412 521 2732. Let's talk more smart money.
1: Talking smart money, and we are with Jim Lang in Nashville tonight because he's getting ready to address some advisors tomorrow. We have Natalie Choate, two of America's retirement planning experts, literally tonight on the Lang Money Hour where smart money talks. We're down to our last 10 minutes, and I want to make a quick note that at the end of the show, we are going to toss out the offer again for a financial, physical this really is an amazing financial physical, and we are going to give them f- free for a few people. So hang on for the next few minutes, and we'll tell you how that can work. Now, Jim and Natalie, we had an email this uh, earlier this afternoon that I wanted to toss out to you. It's a gentleman who's considering a Roth IRA conversion in 2010. He had a question for you, too, so let me give you... His information, and you two can sort it out and see what you think. He is a professor at WVU. He's 59. He's going to work until he's 65. His retirement assets are with TIAA, CREF, and Vanguard, tax-deferred annuity. He's considering converting these accounts to a Roth IRA in 2010 when the income limitations are lifted. He claims that the total amounts come to about a million dollars, and he realizes that he has to pay taxes on the conversion. So his question for you is, first of all, can the, the types of accounts that he has be converted to a Roth IRA in 2010? That's the first thing.
2: Well, I, I would say that that's going to depend on what the rules of his retirement plan and the contract that ti has, with uh, West Virginia University, so it may not be possible. Yeah, there's a particularly uh, if he if he was working at the University of of West Virginia the whole time, it is very possible that they're going to have a rule that says that with regards to any money that they put in, um, or even money that he put in before age 59, that he isn't allowed to roll that over or into an IRA or a Roth IRA. Um, until he either turns past fifty nine and a half, in which case he's likely to only be able to do it with his portion, which which would be fine. Um, that's that's one potential limitation. There's another limitation with TIAA, but that that one I don't want to get into. Um, and the um, so there there might be a limitation not regarding to the IRS, but what the what the what the WVU or West Virginia University's rules are. On the other hand, it's possible, let's say that he had um, been somewhere else before. So let's say he had um, been at the University of Pittsburgh before, and he had been making, and the University of Pittsburgh had been making retirement contributions um, to him there. Then that will be under a different set of rules because with regards to the money at University of Pittsburgh, he would be deemed retired and I believe that in that case he would be able to make a Roth IRA conversion of his and it's most likely a 403B plan.
3: I agree that, that the, um, as far as the tax code is concerned, 403B plans are among the type of plan that you can convert directly to a Roth IRA. However. You have to look at the plan itself, and most people who are still working are going to find that their company plan says you can't take money out while you're still working, so forget it.
1: So he may have to wait until he retires at 65.
3: Right, and even then, as Jim points out, TIAA has its own layers of restrictions that you can only take out so much per year and
1: so, and, and I have to tell you he he, uh, he made a side note here that he's still trying to figure out if he can afford to pay the taxes if he can't a- afford to pay the taxes on a million dollars, would either one of you recommend a partial conversion to a roth IRA with just some of the money assuming that he is allowed to do that with his plan
3: well, I'll weigh in on on that with one, one thought that I almost would never recommend to someone to convert all of their retirement plans to a roth. Um, people who, there are some people who say, I'm not converting any money to a Roth because I don't trust the government. They're going to change the rules, and blah, blah, blah. Well, my point of view is you're, if you don't convert anything, you're betting all your money on one outcome. But the same is true if you convert everything. You're betting all your money on the Roth. To me, that just is not a wise thing. You need to balance and diversify, and I'd like to see people have some money on each horse some money in a traditional retirement plan, some in a Roth, and some outside the plan.
2: Jim? And I would agree with that. And let's assume, for discussion's sake, to simplify, let's assume that the million dollars was in an IRA and he had complete access, and let's assume he did have a couple hundred thousand dollars outside the IRA so he could afford to make the Roth IRA conversion. Well, there's a whole bunch of interesting factors here. One is he might be better off waiting till he's 65 being in a very low income tax bracket when he's 65 and considering doing a Roth IRA conversion then. Um, the downside of that is that he's, he's not going to have those, say, six years of tax-free growth. Um, the other thing is, depending on what his projected income tax rate is, I always like to say that the answer to those kinds of questions, um, and this sounds more like an attorney than an advisor, is it depends, and what it would depend on is um, I would like, actually like to, we call it running the numbers, where we do projections. So let's say that we we start with the two extremes. One is status quo. He doesn't do anything. Two, he does everything. Well, I'm, I'm almost certain like Natalie says, that that will not end up being to his best advantage. But what might be possible is a series of small conversions every year, and then maybe bigger ones after he retires. Or I'm not sure what the results of the of running the numbers are, but that is that is a case where um, I think running the numbers would be very useful.
1: Jim and Natalie, we are, believe it or not, almost out of time. We're going to have to start wrapping up. I did want Natalie, give your website again, because the two publications that Jim talked about, and, and though they are used by advisors around the country, could be picked up by consumers, and you can get some really good information out of those publications. So what is your website?
3: It's com. so a t a x p l a n.
1: You guys have covered some amazing strategies tonight, some very complex strategies, too. So a couple of things I would say. The rebroadcast of this show is going to be Sunday morning here on KQV from 9 to 10. And then we are going to have this posted on Retire Secure in about a week or so. So you'll be able to listen to these again. Natalie, thank you so, so much for joining us and for taking your time tonight. Really, really appreciate it. Thank
2: you, Beth. And Jim, it was a pleasure and It was, and, I, and I'll just say one other thing. I, I really encourage people to, um, particularly the best and worst planning ideas for for consumers. I think that would be great. And if you're a financial professional, and I know we have quite a few listening, um, this is just almost a requirement to have to have both these books. And and Ed Slot talks about things that you should ask your potential financial advisor. One of the things I would ask them is, can you please show me your dog-eared version uh, uh, addition of life and death planning for retirement (laughs) benefits. And if
1: they don't have it, run. (laughs) Well,
2: then then you have to know that you might be a little bit on your own for IRA strategy advice.
1: There you go. Thank you again, Natalie, so much. Hey, I do want to point out we are doing financial physicals. Now, Jim, we're doing this for just the first five people that call in tonight and the first five people that call in on Sunday. The financial physical includes, and this is comprehensive because, like Jim says, you can't just take one little piece. You have to look at the whole package. So this will be a look at your estate planning, retirement planning, income tax planning, investments, insurance coverage, Roth IRA conversion analysis, which we have been discussing for the past half an hour. And this is free to the first five people that call in. We are, and uh, we are limiting this to folks in the state of Pennsylvania. Yeah, we- we have we yeah we really do have to do that so the office number is 412-521-2732 tonight if you call this you can dial my extension which is 219 412-521 2732 and you can also email beth at paytaxeslater.com go to the website as well for more details on our upcoming workshop it's com. Jim our next show is going to be fascinating too we have Neil Godfrey joining us who is going to be discussing how to get your children financially fluent. She is a national expert we'll be talking to her it is the Lang Money Hour where smart money talks.
0: Thanks for listening to the Lang Money Hour, where smart money talks. Portions of the audio that you just heard will be posted online at RetireSecure.com. You can also find a list of upcoming events and topics at RetireSecure.com. To seek Jim's advice personally or to speak to a member of his dedicated staff at Lang Financial Group in Squirrel Hill, call 412-521-2732. Join us again in two weeks when we talk more smart money.